Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Bridget Legault leads the Rainforest Alberta movement in Calgary as the community manager and also serves the startup community through strategy and growth consulting services. She is passionate about growing the tech sector upon a culture of trust, diversity and collaboration and activates this work through strategic ecosystem initiatives, learning experiences, storytelling and community engagement. And now for the third episode in the Women in Alberta Tech series with Bridget Legault, featuring Mary Morrison. The mic is yours, Bridget. Welcome, everybody, to the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast supported by Rainforest Alberta. I am Bridget Legault, and I am the community manager of Rainforest uh, Alberta down in Calgary. And we have launched this series of Libby podcast episodes on the topic of women in Alberta tech. And today, I'm incredibly excited to welcome my guest, co-founder of Wilma, Mary Morrison. Mary, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Bridget. This is such a lovely, lovely opportunity for us, and I couldn't be more grateful. Thank you. Well, I couldn't be more grateful to have met you. And to have gotten to know you a little more over the last few months and now to be able to share this conversation with the broader ecosystem. So let's get right into it, Mary. Uh, we always like to start with getting to know uh, the founder or the, the, the guest themselves. So let's start there. Uh, what, where did you grow up, Mary? Where are you from? What was life like for, for a young Mary Morrison? <laughs> Well, it was a young Mary Willette and okay. <laughs> and I grew up in Windsor, Ontario and uh, a very big, busy family. There's five kids, so seven of us living in one house. Actually, I was just making a joke about that last night about <laughs> why is it that now with houses, everyone needs their own of everything and growing up in a house with seven people, we had one bathroom and three bedrooms and one telephone. And, you know, and I think that that was really, and I was, I'm the second youngest. So there's a lot of time between the three older ones and the two younger ones. And to have anything, you just had to figure it out. So I can remember as a teenager thinking, I want, I want to be able to have telephone calls with my friends. Well, there's only one phone. And so I just knew I had to get a part-time job. So I think that, you know, as you kind of look at yourself in the rear window, you see things that shape you early on of that being a problem solver. And by the time I came around, my parents were kind of just figure it out. Like, this is what we got. Like, you know, you're going to be happy here. Um and so being able to figure things out if I wanted anything to be different, so getting a part-time job so I could get my own phone. Um, there was only one car. So had to, again, you know, work a little bit more to get a bike to get my license because, you know, um, so you, I, I think as I, as I saw myself shaping up, what, what the life of living in Windsor could create for me was not the life I really wanted for a young person. And I bought a one-way train ticket on my 18th birthday that nearly gave my parents and my family a heart attack to move to Calgary. Why Calgary? Why Calgary? Well, you know, Bridget, there's a love story in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> I was... Uh, two, two things. One really was um, I saw really what the life of living in a small city at that time could mm -hmm. be, you know? Mm -hmm. But the other part of it was of, you know, being a love story. There was this person who ended up being my husband, the father of my kids, and just thought, hey, I he went there five years before me to Calgary. And I don't think at the time he thought that this girl's ever going to come to Calgary. But but I think I surprised a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people. And uh, that's. That's how I ended up here. And it was really interesting. The ticket was $325. 
And I can remember it like it was yesterday. That was so much money. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea that the train stopped in Winnipeg. And so I knew it stopped, but I didn't know it stopped and I had to get off the train. And I had no money. And the conductor was very nice to me as a, you know, as a young girl traveling by myself with all this luggage. At that time, there wasn't luggage on wheels. It was just luggage. (laughs) And he said, you know, you're going to have to get off the train. And I said, well, yeah, where do I go? What's happening? Like I have my, my ticket, my ticket is to Calgary. Why are we in Winnipeg? And, um, he said, it, you have to, you have to get off the train. Like another train's taking you to, to Winnipeg. And I said, I literally have no money. And he says, walk with me over to the Fort Gary hotel. And, and I did. And they looked after me. And to this day, wow. like I tell that story, it was, it was really pivotal pivotal for me. I I couldn't call my parents because, you know, I, I had to be this independent person. She's on her way to Calgary. She'll call us when she gets there. Not, hey, I'm in Winnipeg. I'm in Winnipeg. <laughs> and even the the person who I was madly in love with, I didn't even tell him. I literally was just showing up in Calgary and it was whatever was going to happen was going to happen. So yeah, that was uh that was the early 80s of kind of my life. Huh, a leap of faith, hey? Yeah. So you arrive in Calgary and then what does that look like for you? Yes, I arrive in Calgary and at the train station. And I had a friend here whose brother was an engineer. He needed someone to kind of look after his plants while he was traveling to Europe. All I had, I didn't have his phone number. I just had an address and he had left, you know, he had must have told me somewhere where his uh, key was into the apartment. So there I was with all my luggage going across, you know, the train station to Princess Island into Kensington onto 10A Street and 2nd Avenue and that uh, finding my way to this apartment and just kind of thinking, okay, I'm here. (laughs) I'm here. And then on that next day, I had saved my money because I knew I needed a little bit of money for groceries once I got here. And I think I had $75 left for myself. Right. And I went to the Safeway in Kensington and there, and I got, you know, kind of was mindful of, hey, this has to last me for a little while until I find a job. And there were these young men that were on Second Avenue on the, on the, uh, their veranda. And there was a, man that came up to me and asked if he could help me with my groceries. Mm. And I said, sure. Boy, this is a nice city. Um, Doesn't he take off with my groceries? And yes. And these young men saw what was happening. They literally jumped over the veranda of their apartment and chased him down and got whatever the remnants of my groceries, he, you know, they, they could retrieve. And I'll tell you what, that, that, I'll tell you, that was really a wake up call for me of thinking, hey, you know what? This is real now. Yeah. This young person living <laughs> in, in this big city that I didn't know anything about. And, um, and I really had to be mindful of my safety. Hmm. Well, I, yeah, let's, um, let the, uh, listeners, um, maybe like hold that conversation in their mind because I have a feeling it had some impact in what led uh, eventually to Wilma. But um, first, I'm really curious. I'm always really curious about people's professional kind of journeys. And I know you've had quite the impressive career in in corporate. So can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Were you in Calgary at the time? And what has your experience looked like professionally prior to to being a startup founder? Yes. Yes, my my entire professional career has been through Calgary, but I worked all globally. I've had just really great opportunities around the world. My background, actually, when I came to Calgary, I, you know, started started just working just to get some money. But I've always had an interest in science and kind of the the health of science. So went into dietetics, um, and. I I was told fairly fairly early on through my internship I wasn't going to do very well with bedside dietetics because I take I took too long with patients and it actually is a pretty serious thing <laughs> you don't realize it 
but it, it is quite serious. When you have so many patients that you have to see on a clinical rotation, you can't spend, you know, 25 minutes with a patient who's getting ready to be discharged and you're trying to help them. So I really found that to be a disconnect for me. And then I looked at kind of the business of healthcare and the business of healthcare really attracted me. And hmm. when um, my kids were, well, I guess before I had kids, I went into uh, one of the places that I had my internship was at the University of Calgary. And so they had called me back to ask if I wanted to head up the athlete's village for the Olympics. And I thought, what? Like, you know, that's, that's kind of a big stretch from just literally coming out of my internship to, hey, would love to be able to have you here for this. And um, that, 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 again, was very life-changing. You know, again, being able to see people at, at the peak of their performance, how they manage themselves getting jacked up for the, the gold medal getting, getting, losing something and having to be ready again tomorrow to perform. I really got to see things. And at that time, because, you know, everything was so new to me, I just didn't allow some of the things that the nonsense of the Olympics, I would say, right. like we had the Russian hockey team didn't want to sit with the Canadian hockey team. And I had to go talk to both of them, say, Hey, this is what time reading. Um, <laughs> And we had the two Bryans and trying to keep all that, you know, the media re was really looking for stories then. And, uh, you know, it, um, Eddie the Eagle, who was quite a character <laughs> and the Jamaican bobsled team. So I just kind of was thrown into this incredible opportunity. And that was really exciting, really exciting for me. And I, I stayed on at the university overseeing their food services for. Uh, a number of years until I started raising my family. And then from then, it really was that getting back into that business of healthcare and how can we do healthcare differently? And Campbell Soup had an opportunity. They were looking to acquire a company, a healthcare specific company, and had asked if I would be interested in overseeing um, the whole sales business development getting in to talk about healthcare and really with the focus on texture modified, anyone with swallowing disorders. So that Ooh. was kind of that step into, I guess, corporate. And then I, I kind of kept bouncing in and out of doing consulting because as things were changing in my life, raising kids, you know, you kind of got an opportunity to say, oh, I kind of like this part, but I don't know if I'm the right person for that part. And so from that, doing the consulting led me into an, another big project that ended up with the Vancouver Olympics too. Mm. So I was doing some consulting for uh, one client and I was finishing up a project for them. And I said to them, gosh, I'm surprised you're, you guys aren't bidding on the Vancouver Games. And they said, oh, Compass Group pretty much already has that, you know, in the bag. And I said, yeah, it's really not going to cost you anything unless I'm successful in getting you guys across the finish line. So um, that's what brought me to Compass because uh, this other company got the Vancouver Games and Compass was really <laughs> sad <laughs> that they did it. And uh, they brought me in to, to head up um, some, pr some pretty big uh, deals and opportunities as their vice president of uh, business development. And um, through that, I was able to work really in healthcare, higher education, um, government operations. It was really, really exciting for me because those, that type of a opportunity allowed me to still be entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. but also shaping process, testing, you know, what you think and what you know can be miles apart. Um, and that opportunity and that opportunity to grow as a leader really did allow me to shape that uh, in, in both those areas, actually. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, hmm, great story. I just love it. I love the journey. Uh, so you're in corporate and I know uh, from previous conversations that um, I believe you, that this is where you met your co-founder. Um, 
for Wilma. So let's maybe uh, turn over to Wilma and talk a little bit about this startup you have you have co-founded. Um, I'll let I'll let you do the talking. I love I love hearing the story of how Wilma was named. But let's just maybe start at the beginning. How did this idea come about and your co-founding team come about? Beautiful, Bridget. Thank you. Carrie and I, we met at Compass Group and we both had different roles. And I, I think as, you know, if someone ever asked me about kind of what is the, the best DNA of, of, of co-founders, it, you really have to respect each other in business. Um, because having personal relationships are very different than professional relationships. And that's how Terry and I met. She came in just as my role was changing. She came in to continue to grow and develop the, the um, business development team where I was going on to being more of a strategic advisor and looking for different opportunities for Compass Group right, right across North America. And then both of us, I went back into my consulting. She went on to be, um, I think it's a, a senior vice president, if not the president at Optimum Talent in Vancouver. So we can we continue to be really good business confidants. Um, you know, you have your personal circle of friends mm-hmm. and you talk about a lot of stuff, but then there's those relationships that are business confidants that you can just, you know, really share what's truly going on in your career, in your life, you know, your, your disappointments in your career. And so Terry and I, we would often meet for, for dinner and solve world problems. And one of those world problems was, um, it actually was a rainy night in Vancouver. We were meeting at the Lyft restaurant and I, I was running late. Um, I always had something. I stayed at the Fairmont hotel and I had something with the Fairmont that as soon as I needed transportation, they would check on me. And so. By the time I got to the restaurants, it was raining. It was just kind of a, I don't know if I can swear. It was like a shit show. <laughs> and she was giving me a hard time saying, oh my God, you're late. Now your phone's ringing. And I said, oh, that's just the hotel. I have to tell them I got here safely. And she goes, Mary, did you hear about what's you know trending way too much on social media right now about this woman in Houston? And it is a big story. Um, and it was really a, you know, it's, it's what, what we all experience when we have to take ride share. And it's just an unfortunate truth. This is what women live with every day. And hers was quite extreme of a woman traveling for business in Houston. And she, you know, gets into a ride hail. She could see on her phone how far the hotel is supposed to be away. But the driver starts making all these reasons why it's not going to be in the 10 or 15 minutes because he had to get gas and he was worried about his tires and all these things. And she just kept saying, cause this is what we do. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, that's okay. Don't worry about it. But then she starts to notice the hotel is now 25, 28, 32 minutes away. She now her gut instinct is kicking in and she's thinking, Holy, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. So she starts to, she tra- she starts to talk to him because initially he was way too comfortable with her. So she was trying to pull away from him. Mm-hmm. But now she realizes, hey, I need to connect with him because he's like in his own zone. And she, he's not making eye contact with her now. He is way on a different freeway. And she finally inserts, hey... I need to let my boss know. Oh, by the way, you know, he, we head up an IT company. He's probably tracking this call right now. And the driver just books it onto the next exit, brings her back to the hotel. She literally is shaking. And when Terry's telling the story, both of us, like the hair is just standing uh-huh. up. And Terry said, Mary, as much as that story is just like we both, I was getting teary eyed when she was telling it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She said, it's all the me too's that followed from women and men saying, hey, you know, and so Terry said, how is this? We have so many great things that are happening for us, you know, right, right across everything that we do, conveniences. Mm-hmm. And yet, getting in something that just should be a matter of fact 
We should, it's a matter of fact, we should be safe to travel within our communities. It, 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 it's, it, you're, you're taking, you're taking a risk every time. Yeah. And that's when Terry, Terry said, um, you know, we need to solve for this. And, uh, that was a big decision, you know, um, and, and, and that's where it started from. Well, and I think the best, the best, uh, startups start from the, you know, the, the passion to solve the problem, right? And to have started from that point, I think is a, a powerful place to have started. And that story is very powerful because um, as a woman, you get that feeling just in hearing the story, maybe potentially as a man too, I, I can't speak perspective, but you get that that gut reaction to that type of story because we've all been in that situation where we don't necessarily feel safe in a in a situation where we should. Um, yeah. yeah. And the mask, that we wear, Bridget, I can, I can share that I almost feel like Sybil sometimes, you know, that I have multiple personalities. <laughs> I don't even know who I am when I get into a car. I, I have to change my story. Mm. I don't use my real address. I don't use my, a lot of things. I, and I think, God, I am making all these changes just hopefully have a safe ride. Mm -hmm. And what is that taking away from me as a confident woman? It takes an awful lot away from me when I'm wearing all these different masks, mm -hmm. when I'm trying not to be, when I'm trying to be friendly, but not too friendly, answer questions, but not answer too many questions. All of a sudden you start to, it diminishes who I am. And it really does. It has a very big impact. And in speaking with, you know, been very fortunate ever since that we've launched Wilma or even just getting our story out, the stories that um, women share with us. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and so it isn't something that happens to somebody, it happens to everybody, but it's how do we want to talk about it within our communities. Can you share more around the data related to this? Because I feel like there are individuals who might say, you know, is this really that big of a problem? It is. I can actually, I can, I can even, I wonder if I could just pull it up for you, but it is, there's two, there's two ways to answer that, you know, one way. And I was just listening to something um, recently about sexual assault and what's reported versus non-reported. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. even the chief of police in Vancouver will say uh, the criminal activities within Ride Hill are one of the most serious criminal activities because they're the most underreported. Mm -hmm. And so, so Bridget, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big question because it's such, it's such an underreported number and it's 30 million wow. women and gender diverse people have reported being sexually assaulted across North America. And in fact, there is an independent link that has been established and it's called uh, helpingsurvivors.org. Hmm. And that that's, you know, as as much as what Ride Hill did from a great way to travel, a great way just to just to move differently the way that we can. Mm -hmm. It also has attracted some bad actors. And depending on how, how you utilize uh, Ride Hill is really where you see kind of the uptick in issues. So the uptick in issues from a driver's side, women drivers are primarily driving for economic reasons. So if a violation happens to them, it it's going to be very difficult for them to report because it's going to impact them economically. So that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And of the ones that have reported, it is, you know, it's significant what, what they put up with as a woman picking up, you know, you're really putting strangers in, in your vehicle. Yeah. yeah. Super risky. Yeah. And then from the rider side, they're just, just like any, Anything that happens when you talk to, to experts that work with survivors of sexual assaults, there's always that sense of what did I do? How come this happened to me? Mm -hmm. Maybe I shouldn't have drank so much. Maybe I shouldn't have been so friendly. So with, and, and that's 
when the research that we've done, when you look at it, it's, it is very different from a, a female driver and a female rider. And yet we still have this 30 million number of reported incidents. Right, right. Yeah, I'm looking on helpingsurvivors.org now. In 2019, Uber Safety Report noted 3,045 sexual assaults, 58 fatalities, and nine fatal physical assaults. Uh, Reported out of the 1.3 billion total rides. But again, this is only reported, right? So. Yeah, as you say, many aren't just like in any any of assault type of situation. Um, okay, so what that did? Yeah, go ahead. So I was just going to say, and Bridget, what that did when when Uber came forward to make that kind of public knowledge, what that did is opened it up. It opened it up that all these people started talking about it, right. and and it became you know a a, a, a it, it became. Just something that was, how aren't we solving for this? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how is it that we can be doing all these rides? And in my world, one is too much. That person is somebody's sister, mother, daughter, wife. Exactly. You know? um, we can't look at it from a place of, oh, but it is a place, but yes, and. Absolutely. Really quickly, I want to just touch on why the name Wilma, because yes. I think it's quite interesting. And then maybe we'll move on to what your experience has been like building this company. Yes. Um, yeah. So why Wilma? Wilma, you know, Terry and I, uh, you know, just even to back it up a little bit, we had originally named the company Her Ride. And we were really, you know, talking a lot, getting a lot of from advisors, from different stakeholder groups. And with, and we saw it having almost like a limitation. It didn't really have a personality. It, it was almost too much like the other guys. And we don't want to be like the other guys. We're, in, we're intentionally built something differently. Right. And so then, uh, Terry and I, and I actually think it was over Mother's Day last year at this, at this time, um, at this time. And, um, we started looking at names that meant, powerful empowerment that ideally has an acronym because I'm kind of an acronym person <laughs> and that had something that you could at- at- attach yourself to. So let's start with that. So 1915, Wilma Rusi, she was making headline news on, on January 1st, 1915. She was America's first uh, taxi driver, female taxi driver. By day, she was a mechanic and at, at night, she wanted safe passage for herself and for other people. So we went, ooh, check. And then when we looked up the name, what, what does Wilma mean? It means resolute protector. Hmm. Oh, well, isn't that what we're building? <laughs> check. And then can Mary make an acronym out of it? And, it, you know, women in life moving around safely. Community of Wilmas. Check, check, check. Nice. But, you know, the last one and, and the most, you know, that really uh, sits with us is Terry's late mother's name was oh, Wilma. Wow. And she was a school educator. And everything that she did in life was around empowering her kids, her students to make good decisions hmm. and to feel safe in their community. So we just, you know, really wrapped our arms around Wilma and and Wilma has now become a personality, yeah. and uh, and we just love it. I was just going to say that word. What a brand personality to be able to embrace and use for growth. Um, that's fantastic. I love that story. Um, okay, so we're building Wilma now. What has this experience been like for you and Terry? Where's let's start? Maybe start with this. Where's the company at today? Like, are you in market in which geographical areas? Can we use Wilma? Let's start there. We recently launched in London, Ontario, uh, and we have launched on the testing Android right now. So, you know, we will iOS is is coming in hot behind it. (laughs) And what we're using London for is really the voice of the user. So it's one thing to be co-founders of a tech company and to kind of do the the, the hope, hope everything works out. It's another thing to launch in a city that's the right size. It's the right, not only demographics, but it also is like a, 
It's a smaller city, but it has everything that we need from the university, from a large health healthcare component. We had access to the mayor, to the to chief of police, to sexual assault crisis center. Uh, those all make the right ingredients for a test city. So launching in London is really kind of our our feedback city. And then we've just been, uh, which is really exciting news, that we will be a partner of Western University. And that's significant for us. Yeah, and we, we're now getting ready to launch into Toronto. So we will be at the Collision Conference, which will be kind of our big launch news. But we will be in Toronto um, later this spring, early summer. And then we're what we're working on right now is who's next? Where are we going next? So that's um, that's kind of kind of the short term plans. Uh, fantastic news. So Toronto, that's a huge, huge launch, a huge undertaking. What does it what does it take, I guess, to start a ride sharing service in a, in a city the size of Toronto as far as uh, this kind of double marketplace model? I don't know if anyone's watched the the show about the Uber founder on Apple TV, and you just, you see all the struggles that come with this double sided marketplace, and uh, you know what comes first, the chicken or the egg? What what comes first, Mary, the chicken or the egg? the the driver yeah, or the rider? It's a great. <laughs> it's such a great question, and and a big part of why Wilma is built the way it's built as a membership. Um, you know, we're a membership platform, so that has. You know, that that also has some unique advantages to it, because as a membership platform, we can attract partners that can bring additional value to our membership. So the the drivers truly are, Bridget, the fuel of the company. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to have the drivers to look after the riders. And so what the membership um the membership is also the membership platform is also allowing us to not gamify the wages of of our drivers. Mm-hmm. You know, right now a driver has no idea when they come pick you up. They have no idea how much they're, they're, that they're going to make on that ride. Where we are, you know, we're going to have it that a driver knows how much that they're making, and we want to make sure we are making it uh, that if if a ride comes in for Uber, Lyft, or Wilma, our women drivers are always going to choose a, a Wilma ride. And why? Because they know a woman member is always is going to be in the back seat. So that gives them safety. They also know from an economics that they can drive when they want to, not when it's the safest time to. Like, can right. you imagine at two o'clock in the morning, picking up who knows who versus two o'clock in the morning, picking up someone from the Wilma community. So um, we've been fortunate, you know, I, I've been able to talk to a lot of our drivers and what's interesting, the drivers in London, a lot of them, you know, I've talked to an ER nurse. I've talked to a, a professor at Western that wants to be a driver. I've talked to a retired police person hmm. and someone that is working their, their way through law school. Uh-huh. So Wil- Wilma's kind of attracting people that say, hey, this is a problem yeah. and I want to be part of the community that's solving it too. Yeah, I am a sucker for any community-led strategy. So <laughs> well done. I think it's really the only way to do business in this world. That's fantastic. Okay, so I want this podcast and this series was all created based out of a conversation you were actually an integral part of on May, or sorry, March 8th, International Women's Day uh, 2023. And we had a chat with yourself and four other women at Lunch Without Lunch, our weekly meetup about women's, yes. women's honest experiences in the tech sector. We had some feedback that we were maybe a little too honest, but in my opinion, that was the point. And so part of this series and this podcast series is to continue that conversation and to more increase the awareness of what kind of experiences women are actually having in both building companies and working within them in our tech and innovation world. And so I want to take the conversation there next. Let's just start broadly and we'll see where we go. 
I know you and I have shared some of these stories before, but maybe we'll dig into some of the same ones again. What has your experience been like um, as a, a woman founder? Like, what is the initial kind of either challenge, obstacle, maybe perk that comes from being a co-founder and a woman? Oh, perk! I don't know. I don't know. Say as you're talking, I don't know if perks have come up. To <laughs> if, that, if that's what's bubbling, bubbling up. Um, I think it's, um, and especially of a tech company. Yes. So neither Terry nor myself are, you know, our background isn't in tech. So it's, it is Mm -hmm. really illuminating when you are needing to solve a problem, which is going to be a, it's all going to be a technology. The solution is on a platform that is built from the ground up and you really have to trust people coming into your company. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I think that gets back to what we were talking about earlier about the co-founder relationship too. You, a lot of people are really good at self-promoting, and um, you 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 th- th- this this is something that's too important. You really need to test not only for understanding, but you have to test for outcomes, and especially with with a tech company because. A, a lot of things can be happening, you know, that, that like I said, you, you're trusting. And both Terry and I are, are very trusting founders and we've attracted incredible talent to, to the team. And so the second part of that is, well, you know, the, 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 the dev team is doing what they need to be doing. Terry and I also need to be raising the awareness of Wilma mm-hmm. and raising the awareness with from a from a place of straddling between um safety and empowerment because mm-hmm. it it really is i mean when you're when you're not feeling safe you're not confident when you're not confident you're not empowered and when you're not empowered all of a sudden you've diminished a lot about yourself mm-hmm. so we've you know we've had We've been in meetings where people will just say, is this really a problem? And I'll say to 30 million people, it's been a problem. Mm-hmm. And those people have families and they have, they go to work and they live in communities. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a problem. And you're, you're probably really fortunate that it hasn't impacted you yet. And, um, I, I find that, that to be, uh, th- those are hard. Those are hard conversations. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, I really appreciate what you're saying about um, the team kind of building that that foundational team and, and including folks that you t- trust test for understanding and also test for outcomes. Um, can you unpack test testing for outcomes a little further? How did you do that as a team? And um, well, and for understanding, how did you do that together and with the, the individuals you brought on? I think test for understanding, and that's where, you know, people, like I said, people can be really good self-promoters. So mm-hmm. testing for understanding is kind of mirroring what they're saying, but then mm-hmm. tell me how, tell me who, tell me when. And being able to go check all those, you know, this person said this, this is what they did. And really to understand, I mean, this is a person, these are people that truly are representing everything that Wilma stands for. Mm-hmm. So we we take that very seriously. So making sure that these are people that you want in your being being part of the Wilma brand. Mm-hmm. Um and and having those conversations up front mm-hmm. early with people. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of developers, they come from big, big organizations. It's very different when you have that cloud cover working in a big organization to saying, Hey, I'd love to do this. Well, we're a scrappy startup, man. And you really <laughs> have got to show up. You know, there's, there's nobody, you don't have cloud cover. There is yeah. no cloud cover. We say that very early and often <laughs> in the interview process. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to keep and, going down that. I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish the thought. And 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 we have these wonderful women that are our talent acquisition team, and they say that we might be scaring people away, 
fantastic. <laughs> That's what we want. <laughs> totally, right? And um, yes. to be so grounded in your values and your purpose, I think is just... Um, really admirable. And hopefully, you know, that will lead to your success, because I think it is so foundational in a company. And you see so many who don't take the time to build that those yeah. foundational relationships and understanding prior to getting to work. And then all of a sudden, things fall apart. And you know, we've all heard those stories. Yeah. And love, even yeah. the test for outcome, yeah. you know, because the test for outcome, you really have to ask, help me understand, how is this going to improve or bring value, or make a difference for a person who's a rider or a driver. Walk me through mm -hmm. it, because if we're making this decision as a company to move forward with this part of the technology, right. what is it that is going to differentiate us or support our overall brand? And Luca Marashi, he is um, our CTO. He really comes from a place of uh, PII compliance. And, you know, he will be the first one to scream from the rooftop. Wilma can't just be talking about safety um, from a place of external brand. Internally, people need to know everything that they're trusting us with, they can trust us with. Right. And that's, that is something that takes a little bit more of, of a build and, and the technology front of how we're building. Right. Mm, super interesting. I'd love to keep going down that route, but I, I want to come back a bit more to your experience as, as female founders. Are you raising capital right now? Are you, yes. Are you raising round? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've, we've raised 1.7 of our 3 million pre-seed raise. So right now we are hot and heavy in trying to finish the 1.3 of that round. And that's really going to be the bridge to get us to Toronto. Wow. You know, our business is really, it, it really is marketing and technology, marketing technology. Um, hmm. And the regulatory, the licensing, but it, it really does have those big buckets of where, where we need to be able to make sure that we are supported and we're stable in those two environments. And then the next raise will be very quick coming out after that is in the four to six million that will really allow us to, again, after Toronto, what, you know, we have cities in the U.S. who have lined up. They really want us there and they're making some big generous offers mm -hmm. to us. Um, so that next raise will really be about scaling. And we built the technology that way. And that was a strategic decision early on. Mm -hmm. You can build it like in little little speed bumps, mm -hmm. or you can build for very effective scaling. And we wanted to build for effective scaling so that once we have that playbook, specifically out of Toronto, that because that's the demographics, that's a, that's a perfect city size, mm -hmm. that allows us really to replicate that city by city by city. Uh, and we're pretty excited about, about being able to have that capacity to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, extremely exciting. Um, can you speak a little bit of your experience in raising capital uh, as a woman? What has, that, what has that been like? Do you feel it's been different for you than maybe some of your men founder counterparts? I, I would say it's... I don't know if it's different because I don't know, you know, with, with men, True. but I will say that the majority that we've raised, it's been, and we use the word friends and family loosely because they're not necessar necessarily friends. They're friends of friends of friends. You know, if someone invested in us like a year and a half ago, then they tell someone, then they tell someone. And we've been very, very fortunate that way. So that's been, and, uh, you know, ter Terry does an amazing job at, at that part of our business. Um, she just, you know, just illuminates passion about what we're doing. Uh, and then the traditional, so going to banks and mm -hmm. having to put up personal collateral that I don't think either of us had thought that this would happen. Asking if, us if our husbands would co-sign and neither of us have husbands, which has been <laughs> really interesting. Um, so it's kind of that tone deafness that you kind of think, hey, wakey, wakey, 
if you say that you support women in business, really get to know who is that woman and her business and how are you supporting them? Um, it's interesting that a lot of companies, they use these, these, you know, these taglines of, you know, inclusivity, you know, and all the right language, but it's when you're, when you're in it, you're, you're kind of scratching your head saying, is this a head office initiative or is this something that you're really doing? So, um, and it has been challenging. It has been challenging going what we thought we would go more of traditional routes of financing because, you know, it, you are giving up some equity yeah. every time. Yes. So you just really need to be mind, mindful right. of that. Right. You know, we've had, um, we've, we've had some interesting questions and, and yeah, and then we've had some really men that lean right in. So Fantastic. it's men that lean in. And as we're talking about it and giving the stats, you know, the 30 million and the, the economic reasons why women drive, mm -hmm. we've had men that have listened to our pitch and literally within 24 hours. So I always, I always have a visual. They've gone home, they're having dinner with their daughter, their wife, their partner. And someone says, Hey, honey, what happened at work today? Oh, we heard this pitch <laughs> from, you yeah. know, this, these ladies from Wilma. And can you believe this is happening? Yeah, it happens, <laughs> you know, every day. And then we get kind of that 24 hour, um, that little, the uh, callback. Of, <laughs> hey, this is a real thing. You know, you get, <laughs> you're solving a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And good for Wilma and good for your team for, um, for bringing it to light and for bringing a solution, uh, to the problem. Thank you. I think it's fantastic. Um, any last words or any words, you know, any, any advice that you would like to leave for other female founders or any other maybe non-technical women working in tech? Because this is something I've been talking a lot about with people where a lot of folks are coming into the tech scene, but they don't necessarily have that technical background and the hurdles that can come alongside that. And then, you know, all the other kind of social barriers that just we're faced professionally. What advice would you leave for, for those folks? I, I think it's... Um... You know, number one, I've been so grateful to, to meet yourself. And I really, I really wish I could push a button to go back in time. I think for female founders, the sooner you can create your community, the better, mm -hmm. because it's the hardest thing you will ever do. Even when you think you've done really hard things, and I think I have done really hard things, this is the hardest thing that you'll ever do. And you really do need to have that community. And community that you can be vulnerable with mm -hmm. because, you know, because you get advice all over the place. And I find it really funny. All this, <laughs> like, I, I look at them like cartoon bubbles of advice all around oh, my head 24-7. Yeah. And, um, and being non-technical founders, it, you, you almost feel like if one of us was a technical founder, would something be different? Yes, no, otherwise, right? Um, that that's a that's a hard question because then if one of you is because being non-technical founders we're incredible business people mm -hmm. uh we're you know we have we have great track record of growing businesses and of being able to talk about the business um so you are you giving to get or are you sacrificing? I don't, I don't know because this is, this is what mm -hmm. we are. Yeah. And so having that community, Terry is really well connected to AWS. They've kind of taken her under their wing and they've been incredible supports of, of what we're doing. In fact, they're publishing a white paper on us. So that's oh. kind of cool. Um, so like I said, if, if you could press the, the button, you know, back in time, I, I think to create a community early and to make sure it's the community, the community that you have early days may not be on the full ride with you, but it's still really important to have community. And, and that's outside of your friends mm -hmm. and family, because they're just going to always be, you yeah. go, girl, you're doing the right thing. No, 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 no. But you need to have the community that you literally can just say, you know, Jesus, what are we doing here? And, um, 
And it's tough. It's tough. And Terry always says, and I think it just is so a great way to, to leave this conversation mm-hmm. is it, t- it takes a village. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there's more words more true to what we're doing. Um, yeah. we're, we're giving people in the communities that live, work, and play another option, but it does take a village to do what we're building. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful words to, to end the conversation on. Um, definitely speaking my language as far as building a community around you. And, and so intentionally, I think that's what struck me through this conversation is how intentional Terry and yourself are in building that community and kind of, you know, the world that supports Wilma. So congratulations to you both. Terry, if you're listening, I can't wait to meet you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You'll be really excited to meet you too. <laughs> yeah. It's just been fantastic getting to know you better, Mary, over this conversation Thanks, and others. And I look forward to continuing to support Wilma and your growth and best of luck in Toronto. We'll all be rooting you on Beautiful from our community. So thank you, Beautiful. everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. Going beyond creating custom software solutions, NIM is dedicated to making a positive impact on society, providing opportunities for new software developers to gain real-world experience and contribute to meaningful projects. You get quality, affordable solutions at the same time you're supporting the growth and development of the next generation of skilled talent. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.